Well, good morning, church. It is good to see all of you here today and to worship with you. And I want to um, just say that um, I'm, I'm really appreciative of our, um, of our new this year associate uh, minister, Robbie Gray. He's going to be preaching next week. Uh, my wife and I are going to be down in uh, Central Florida officiating a, a wedding, uh, which is actually going to be on a Sunday. Uh, and a, it's actually just a great gospel opportunity. If you, you might remember Cooper Davis, who is a young EOD student who's here for a year with us, and uh, he'll be marrying his, um, his beautiful bride-to-be, uh, Juliana. Uh, so we've had the joy of, of walking with them through uh, premarital counseling via Zoom, and, and are excited to go and meet their families and, and do that. But thankfully, Robbie will be here, and we'll be uh, bringing our, this next section of John, John chapter 1, verse uh, 10 onwards, I think through verse um, 13. Uh, so we look forward to that. Um, and I got to say, I love Robbie, but he's a little bit of a minimalist, evidently. And, and I like minimalists. I, I'm married to one, which is a blessing, actually, right? She helps me get rid of things and, and live a simple life. But for one, for, for one strange reason, Robbie, I don't know why, he keeps saying a dozen cookies tonight, okay? Like, as if that's all you ought to prepare for this cookie fellowship thing. I just want you to know that you are welcome to make two dozen cookies, uh, especially if they're like sugar cookies, you know, make three dozen of those, okay? Um, uh, I, I don't know why, I've just heard him say a dozen cookies several times. I want you to know you are not limited to that. He might be a smart guy, and he knows if he throws out like a, a soft challenge, you'll overcome that. Um, but bless us abundantly, come back. But more importantly than the cookies, you really do want to be here tonight. This is going to be a really special time. Our musicians and our kids and our choir have been working really hard to prepare this evening, which is all about our sermon this morning, okay? And that is light. A light has come. So I, I want to encourage you to come at 6 or come about 545. Maybe you might want to grab some seats closer to the front. And, uh, and bring some neighbors to come because the gospel is going to be made clear in song and in word as, as we unpack the scriptures about the light, what good news we have and what it means for us. So be here tonight at, at uh, maybe 10 till 6 and then um, do be, be bountiful with the uh, cookies that you make if you're a good cook. If you're not, you can make a dozen. All right. If you listen to these verses that, that Pastor Billy read this morning, um, you probably heard and noticed one word being repeated again and again, right? Uh, what was that word? Light. That's right. I count in these six verses, light is used seven times. Okay, we, we see that we read that word light seven times. So what are the, what are the benefits of light? What, why do we enjoy light? And maybe we, don't, we take light for granted until you don't have it. Maybe you've been in a place where you didn't have light. Um, what, what are the benefits of light? Yeah, uh, what they call illumination, right? It allows you to, to see the way. What, what else? Do you, do you know that light brings hope? If you're ever like in a survival type situation um, and you can get a fire started, you know, that, that actually brings not only warmth and, and you know, illumination at night, uh, you know, so you can see what kind of wild animals there might be out there that want to dine on you. Um, it, it gives you, it, it just brings hope and encouragement. Like, I've, I've created, fi- you know, there's fire now, you know, there's hope. So light brings hope 
And, and ultimately, if you think about it, light brings life, does it not? Light brings life. And that's the first point this morning of, of three. And so uh, if you are just joining us um, and you want to, uh, if you like having a visual guide, there's one inside your, your bulletin here. Uh, and, and the accompanying verses that I'm going to be kind of walking through are all there for your reference later. Um, so feel free to look at that. But our first point here is that the light brings life. And, and in these verses here that Pastor Billy read, five times we see the word the, the article the in front of the word light. And then in verse 9, we actually see an adjective, true. We see the true light. And so whenever you hear that word light in these verses, you're, we're hearing about Jesus Christ, okay? He is the light. And so verse 4 says, in him was life and the life was the light. In other words, the life was Jesus, the life was the light of men. And so light brings life. So Jesus Christ himself brings life. And I see two different kinds of life here implied. First is physical life, right? Jesus himself brings physical life, just like the sun brings life, right? Uh, Here on our planet Earth, creation is just drawn to the sun. We're nourished by the sun. Plants grow towards the sun right? Our dog, uh, before she sadly, uh, I don't know if the right word is passed, um, uh, not to get on a tangent here, but I'm a, a trichotomist when it comes to human nature, uh, body, soul, spirit. So I could say, God bless her soul. You might be like, nah, what are you talking about? Dogs don't have souls. I kind of differ. They don't have spirits, but whatever. Come talk to me about that stuff if you're really interested, if you want to geek out in philosophy. But our dog, Bella, used to gravitate towards the light, right? Uh, she'd be laying around in the sunroom, and if there was a beam of light coming in, where do you think she would move? She, she would lay down in the light. And nobody taught her that. Creation just moves towards light because it brings life, and it brings encouragement to us. And, and so I find myself drawn towards the light. I'm constantly drawn outside towards the light right? I'm sitting in my office working. I, I look out. The, I just naturally look out the window and look at the light, and I want to be out there. I want to be in the light. Now, I'm sure there's some people, maybe you got a job where you're out in the sun all day, and you'd rather switch places. I don't know. But the light draws us, and the light of our sun gives us life, and that's Jesus. Jesus actually is the creator of life, right? He made the sun, and we saw last week, he made all things. Verse 3 says, all things were made through him. And what that means is that, that he made you. That it wasn't just kind of like a distant God. The man in the sandals that we remember at Christmas it wasn't just a baby who became a man. He is the pre-existent God who actually designed each of us according to his will. And so you are his creation, actually the creation of Jesus Christ. And so Psalm 139 while it's talking about God generally, it's talking about Jesus specifically as well. Because it says in verse 13, for you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. And that means every feature of your physical body was designed by by Jesus Christ. And so maybe you got a nose that you wish looked a little different, okay? Um, My dad, when I was a kid, and I shouldn't say this in public, sorry dad, but he used to tease me about my nose. He used to call it a beak. 
And it, and it kind of hurt my feelings. And I was a little bit sensitive about that. But you know what? God designed that exactly how he wanted it. So if you've got a part of you that you're like, ah, my ears are a little too big or whatever, Jesus Christ himself intended your ears to, to look the way they do and to do what they do. And so be thankful. He's your creator. And, and he gave you your life. And you know what else? When he heals you, that's Jesus. He's the great physician. We, we call him that, right? We recognize that. And so what that means is that whenever we experience healing in our lives, maybe you've been sick this last week with the flu. I know some folks are out sick with the flu. Um, and, and then you got better. You need to realize it didn't just happen. He designed you with an immune system. And, and he, is, he, he, he is the one who's actually bringing healing every time we experience it whether it's at the hands of a surgeon, like Kessid was able to, to go and have her heart worked on a little bit, and here she is. Good to see you, Kessid. Um, pretty incredible stuff. J- just through God's great grace of general revelation, he's given us these abilities. He's part of his general grace. But ultimately, that was Jesus Christ healing your heart, Kessid, through some skillful hands and some skillful tech. So we need to give him credit and, and glory for the physical healing that, that we experience. But you know, there's also an emotional healing that he brings, right? That's light, and that, that's life. I don't, I don't know about you, but maybe you have experienced a sense, maybe you had a bad day, and I certainly have, where you're just weighed down, and you just, you feel beat down. And you might have an opponent, somebody who's beating you down, you know, or it might just be your own sense of guilt for your sin, or it may be a sense of, of failure, but you're just feeling beat down, and then somebody comes along, and, and they bring like a bouquet of flowers of encouragement to you, and it just gives life, right? Well, that's, that's what Jesus does. He, he, he gives our souls life, and it's more than just a spring in our step, although it is that. But Jesus Christ brings spiritual life. So, so he is the giver and the creator of physical life, but also spiritual life. The, the light of the Son of God gives us spiritual life if we look to him in faith. Now let's, let's talk about this for a moment here, um, spiritual life. Um, to, to understand life, it's important that we think about death because death is really the opposite of life. And and spiritually, the Bible teaches that every single one of us in this room are either dead in our sins or we were dead in our sins. So we have experienced spiritual death. That would be the opposite of spiritual life. And Ephesians chapter 2 talks about this. It says in verse 1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world following not only the world, but the prince of the power of the air. That would be the devil. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So all of us in this room were either or are currently dead in our sins. Spiritually dead. And and that means spiritually separated from God. Pastor Matt Carter wrote, death is fundamentally separation. At death, the spiritual part of a man, his soul, is separated from the physical part of man, his body. Now, let me just say, this is is what we see if you go to a funeral and it happens to be open casket, right? That's what we see. We see a shell. Uh, We see 
a body of a, of a deceased loved one who has now been separated from their soul, right? Maybe the mortician did a great job with, you know, I don't know what all they do, the embalming fluid or the, the, the makeup, you know, and, and they made that body look as, as lifelike as they can, but it's just a shell. You know, I, I, I remember years ago going to my grandfather's funeral. At the time when he passed, we were in living overseas. We were in, in London, and I flew back, and I, I had a special relationship with my grandfather. I called him Grampy, and a lot of wonderful childhood memories, he, but he was just very much alive, okay? He'd come to our, our home, and he'd be up on the roof, you know, swinging a hammer, uh, hanging off trees, tr- trimming limbs. I mean, this man was just alive, and it was kind of everyone's uh, project to try to keep him from you know, falling off the roof or the tree. Uh, but he's one of those guys. And he was always, you know, uh, playing games with me. I remember one time when I was a young kid, he, he, he said, hey, I came home from school. And he said, hey, Troy, you want to play war? And I said, sure. And every time I threw down a, an eight, it was a nine he had. Every time a king, a, it was a, an ace. Every time. And he had, so he had stacked the deck, obviously, you know. But he was just a joker. He was so much fun. I mean, I just looked forward to Grampy coming to visit us, whether it was in Texas or, or even after we moved here. And I remember when he, when he died, walking into this room and, 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 and with his visitation, I just saw, I saw him laying there, his, his body. And I remember seeing his suspenders. But there was a part of me that just wanted to run away because I was like, that's not my grampy. That, that's, a sh- that's the shell of my grampy. My grampy, praise God, his soul was in heaven, right? Or his spirit was in heaven. Sorry, I got to be consistent with my trichotomous view of, of nature here. Um, his spirit was in heaven. For those of you who think souls and spirits are the same, okay. Um, his spirit was, was with Christ, right? But Grampy was no longer in that, in that shell. So Pastor Carter continues here with this, this thought about separation. And he says, spiritual death is the separation of the soul from God. Physical death pictures the far more terrifying and sobering reality of spiritual death. Sin separates us from God. That separation is made permanent after physical death when God, the just judge, will punish sin with eternal separation from him in the horrors of hell. We need to remember that, brothers and sisters. And and if you're here and you're not a Christian, you need to know this, all right, this truth. And that is, apart from Christ, we are or were headed to an eternal death in hell that never ends. This is the truth of the Bible. Revelation 21.8 says, but for the cowardly, okay, all right, every single one of us have been cowardly. We haven't all, um, we haven't all stood up for our Savior. We haven't all worshiped our maker before men as we're called to do. Every one of us guilty, guilty already. The cowardly, the faithless. Have you ever been faithless? I have. The detestable, as for murderers, you might be like, all right, that's not me. Jesus said, uh, hey, you hate someone in your heart, guilty of murder, spiritually. The sexually immoral. All right, anybody here over the age of, let's just say, 12, who has never been sexually immoral? I don't see any hands. Okay. Over the age of 12. Um, the idolaters. Anybody here who has not, like, um, loved something more than the Lord? Okay, well, you're, you're an idolater. 
all liars. Their portion will be in a lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. All right? So the Bible talks about a first death. That's when our soul or spirit, excuse me, uh, got to be consistent, separates from our body, right? And then the second death, for those who um, stand before the great judge and, and hear those dreaded words, I never knew you, and they're, they're cast into what the Bible calls here this lake that burns with fire and sulfur. That's the second death, and it's an eternal spiritual death, all right? Um, that's the bad news. That's a horrible place the Bible calls hell, and I don't want anybody in this room to go there. But you need to understand the bad news so that you'll understand the good news of, of the gospel. The gospel means good news, but it really doesn't mean much unless you understand there's bad news. There's a wrath to, to come to be saved from. There's, there's such thing as not just physical death, but spiritual death that you need to be rescued from. And that's why God sent the light who gives life, and he gives eternal life. That's salvation. That's the good news. And so the Bible says in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, that means no matter what you've done, whoever believes in him should not perish in hell, but have eternal life in heaven, in the new heavens and the new earth, a place as, as horribly awful as hell is, even more glorious and wonderful heaven is going to be, right? We're not just floating around on clouds, folks, all right? There's purpose, and, and, and there is absolute joy, and there is great relationship, and I believe adventure awaiting, okay, in heaven. Adventure and worship have a very close connection. If you want to geek out in philosophy, we can talk about that too, okay? Advent, you get that? Adventure, having to overcome stuff, challenges, and worship have a close connection. Let's talk about that sometime if you're interested, you know, come. If you're a dude, you can still come um, challenge me to pull-ups, and if you beat me, you get one of my IBCs, and if I beat you, I get 10 minutes of your time. We can talk about that. We can talk about whatever you want, uh, or whatever I ask you, if I beat you. So that's available, and you don't even have to do pull-ups. You can just come talk to me if you want, all right? Uh, We can talk about these things. Well, there is good news. You remember there's a point where Jesus experienced the death of a friend, Lazarus, right? We talked about that last week or the week before, and how Jesus actually wept at the death of his friend, even though he planned and did raise him back to life. He gave him physical life again, which was a picture of eternal life. And before he raised Lazarus, he, he, he spoke to Lazarus' grieving sister Martha, and he, and he said to her, and by extension to each of us in John eleven twenty five, he said, I am the resurrection and the life Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. So what that means is a Christian is someone whose ultimate belief and hope and trust is in Jesus Christ, that he died to cover their sins, and he rose from the dead and is alive. And so like Christ, a a Christian is spiritually alive, right? spiritually alive. There's a light burning within your spirit, and it penetrates your soul too, and it comes out through your personality, and and people see that. So a Christian is spiritually alive. Uh, Before, we were all cut off from God, but a Christian through faith has been reconciled with God. So you have that relationship, that, that there's just a light there. 
And, and not only do you have spiritual life now, but you, you have a promised life for eternity, which is world without end, as the creeds say. Amen. So Jesus came to bring life, and the life was the light of men. So how should you respond to that truth? Point one, look, look to Jesus today. Maybe that candle in your spirit is, is kind of starting to you know, burn down. Look to Jesus. And so that brings us to our second point, which is the light shines in the darkness, verses 5 through 8. The light of, of Christ shines in darkness. So let's talk a little bit about darkness. Verse 5 says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So is there anybody here who's a fan of daylight savings time? Anybody who lives in Northwest Florida just love daylight savings? Bart, you're a strange man. Anybody else who loves the idea that it gets dark at 4.45 p.m.? Okay, maybe you're an early morning guy, so you love getting out there, watching the sun come up. Why do you like daylight savings? Excuse me? Now, I think you got that backwards, brother. Um, uh, unless I'm just dyslexic, which is probably true. All right. The idea that it gets dark at 4.45, you love that fact? Okay, so you're thinking the other way around. You're thinking that daylight savings makes light 6 o'clock or, or later. All right. I'm looking at it the other way. Maybe I'm a pessimist. You're an optimist. Maybe that's the truth. Point is, it's a real bummer having to change your clock such that you have to, in my view at least, that you, you, know, you, you can go home at 5.30 and still have a little bit of light, and then now suddenly you go home and it's dark when you get home. What a bummer, right? Well, living in other places, like we lived in London, and it got dark this time of year, like at 3.45, right? And, 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 and frankly, it never got like during the, during the wintertime, it never got like brilliant during the day. It was kind of like, you know, just this pale of a sun kind of going across the sky. And, you know, other people have it worse, our friends up in Scandinavia or in Alaska, where this time of year, I mean, it, it barely, they barely see any natural light. And studies link that darkness to depression. People really struggle. And of course, during the, during the summertime, they have these glorious long days, right? And you'll see them out at 11 o'clock at night, just, you know, soaking it up, storing it, right, for later. But, but to appreciate light, you, you, know, you kind of need to know what is it like to be in darkness, for a while. Um, you know, I, I, I remember when we lived in Afghanistan as a family, um, Christmas time, it was tempting to become, dis, dis, you know, discouraged because you're, you're in this land, in this country where there was a lot of spiritual darkness, there's a lot of human suffering, and nobody celebrated Christmas. Like, Christmas was just another day. You, go, you drive down through the bazaars and people are out, you know, selling stuff, dust is everywhere. Uh, you know, you'd see fat-tailed sheep, you know, on the sides of, sometimes you see a motorcycle, and they'd have like two fat-tailed sheep on each side as bumpers, and they were still alive, you know, right, right, riding around. But you see just, you know, just humanity going through another day without any concept of the meaning of Christmas, this light of, of divinity coming down and becoming with us. And it was, it was hard, but we learned that even though as society all around us might not see Christmas, He is with us wherever we are. And so in some ways it was more beautiful because we were able to have a few Christians get together and we would, we would sing 
some of these great Christmas carols that meant so much, and we were focused more on the, the words than we, we were necessarily in all the trappings of, of Christmas. And I, I remember just going outside and try not to visualize this because um, for my sake or, or yours, um, it's not super pretty, but I'd go outside and I'd look up at the stars and sing, Oh Holy Night, out there. You know, hopefully no, none of my Afghan neighbors heard that. Um, but just imagining and, and thinking about God visiting us, piercing the darkness with his light and what this means. Well, you know, there, there's, there, there's spiritual darkness, but there's also deeds of darkness. And, and deeds of darkness and those who walk in them scamper away from light, right? And that's what Jesus said later in, in John chapter 3. When he was talking to Nicodemus, he said in verse 19, and this is the judgment the light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. So not everybody loves the light. Darkness resists. It, it pushed back against Jesus. It resisted. It rejected. It was vicious. It even murdered. But Jesus overcame it. And he rose from the dead. And the bottom line is the darkness cannot stop the light. The word here says that the darkness has not overcome it. The light shines in the darkness. And you know what? It doesn't take a whole lot of light to illumine a totally dark place, does it? Right? I'm looking forward to our Christmas Eve service in which we light candles and, and we sing, and, and hopefully we'll get this room dark enough to where we can enjoy the lights. Um, and so if your job's on the light switches, please do turn them down, right? We want to enjoy the, the, the light. And, and one, but one candle, if, if this room was totally dark, like truly, truly pitch black dark, one of these candles would be powerful. I, I remember back in Afghanistan, we had blackouts all the time, and, and you would get like darkness. Like when I say blackouts, I mean our electricity was incredibly unreliable. So you'd be sitting there at night, and you had to just have candles in all the rooms, or a little lamp, or flashlight, or whatever, and it just became a, core, a, a normal thing, because it was very, very normal for power to go out, and when it did, you didn't know if it was going to be a, a few minutes, or it might be a few hours, or maybe a few days, okay? And so you just had to have a candle, and, and for a moment, you can't see your hand, because it's just total black, and you're totally lost. But, but you light that first candle, and again, there's, there's illumination, and, and there's, there's hope, and now we can get back to our, our lives as we light all our candles. Well, in, in Isaiah chapter 9, we read about this hope that the, the light, God's light, brought into a dark world. And we're going to think more about this tonight. But we read, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Well, how did that happen? For to us, a child is born. And I love how he talks about like present tense, even though he's talking about the future. What, what, what he means by that is it's going to happen. For to us, a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So God created physical light on the first day of creation. But according to the Bible, not only did God make light, God himself is light. 
You, you, in, in 1 John 1, 5, we read that this is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And we see pictures of this throughout the Old Testament. You remember the, the cloud of fire by night. It was God manifesting himself or, or letting everybody know that he was with them through a physical picture of light, an actual cloud of fire that, that led the children of Israel through the wilderness. And then that, that cloud actually came down and the Shekinah glory filled the tabernacle. And later we read Solomon's temple telling everybody, God, the, the, the almighty God of light, he is with us. And so being that Jesus Christ is the very son of God, it, it's, it's no, it, it should be no um, surprise to us that, that he said that he was light. Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, now Jesus revealed that nature, his true nature of light, to several of his disciples one evening on a mountain. And we read about this in Matthew chapter 17, that he was transfigured before them. In other words, his true nature was revealed. And what happened was his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. So in a physical um, sense, Jesus Christ himself, his, his true nature it was, was light. But here, I believe John, in, in John chapter 1, is using light as a metaphor here to talk about a true and greater spiritual reality. And so he's talking here about how Jesus spiritually brings light into a dark world. Let, let's remember the context of, of Jesus telling Martha that he's the light of the world um, I'm sorry, later, not Martha, later telling his disciples that he's the light of the world. That happened right after he saved a woman who had been caught right in the middle of the act of adultery. All right? And in that culture, she was going to get stoned. She was going to get capital punishment for it. And people were already picking up rocks to kill her, to drag her out and kill her for her sin of adultery. And as, as the Mosaic law prescribed. And Jesus intervened and saved her life by convicting everybody else who was present of their similar sin. And not only did, did he save her life, but we see in the context that he actually forgave her of her sin. But he told her to go and to sin no more. And so what we see here spiritually is that light is always on the move. Okay, light is never just stagnant. Light is always on the move, looking to penetrate darkness, giving light and life to, to dark corners of a depressed and dark world. And so Jesus Christ is the light who gives true life to those who trust in him. Now, Jesus is the light of the world, but he's called us as his followers to reflect his light into the dark corners around our lives. Jesus pointed at his disciples and he said, after saying, I am the light of the world earlier, he pointed at his disciples and he said, you are the light of the world, right? So Jesus points at me and you, and he says in Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Back in the book of Exodus, we read how, how one day Moses requested of God, show me your glory. 
Not, probably not the brightest request, because we know if God had really given Moses what he asked for, it would have killed him on the spot. Okay? But Moses wanted to see more of God. So he said, let me, let me see your glory, just a little bit of it. And so you remember God took Moses and, and he basically hid him in the cleft of a rock, took some kind of a cave or you know, stuck Moses in there, and then he puts his hand over it and he passes by and he reveals just the backside, a glimpse of his glory to Moses. And what happened? Moses came out and his face was shining. You remember that? It was like a, he had just seen a little bit of God's afterglow and his face is shining. Well, what's the point of that story? Well, it's, it's that that's what we should be like as we go out there in this world. We ought to be like Moses, our, our faces reflecting his glory to the world around us. You know, not just our physical faces, but our countenances, the way we live. When people think of the sum total of our, of our demeanor, our actions, our words, their experience with, uh, with, with us, it should be reflection of the light. So that's our job as Christians, to reflect the light of Christ in a dark world. This is how we witness to the world that Jesus is worthy. And we do this in in our words. We do this with our deeds. We're we're attributing greatness to Jesus. And and we need to be intentional about that. We need to be intentional to make sure that we attribute greatness to Jesus. Now, John the Baptist was a great example of reflecting light. He we read in, in verse 6 through 8 of our text here this morning, and it's an interesting parenthesis in this, this whole story about Jesus coming in. Uh, John, who is not John the Baptist, okay, this is the Apostle John writing about John the Baptist, and he says in verse 6 of our text, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. John the baptizer. And if you read about him later, you're going to read that he was a wild man. He, was, he, he, might, he probably didn't smell very good. Uh, he looked very eccentric, Okay, uh, and his his dietary practice was was pretty extreme. All right, he was a kind of a wild man. But we read that that he came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all may believe through him. He wasn't the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. So John's goal, though he had a big crowd, a lot of people came out to see him and to hear him. They recognized that he was a great prophet. Okay? Uh, or at the very least a crazy guy, an interesting guy to go listen to. His goal was not to become great and powerful, but that all might believe through him, through Jesus. So we read later, and we're going we're gonna to study this in, in more uh, detail in a few weeks, but we read in, in, in verse 29 of John 1, the next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. So John's whole mission and purpose in life was to reflect the light and to point people to the light, to Jesus. We even read later in John 3.30, when his disciples got a little jealous that people, the crowds were now moving from John to Jesus, he said, he must increase and I must decrease. So John the Baptist did a pretty good job reflecting the light of Christ. And so did a little lady named Lottie Moon. You might be like, who? Who's that? All right, if you've been a Southern Baptist for a long time, uh, you, you hear the words Lottie Moon at Christmas time. Well, Lottie Moon was a young lady, uh, a, a little lady, all right, literally four foot two inches. 
So basically like a midget, all right? Um, if that's okay to say, I don't know. Uh, little lady, tiny lady. I mean, I married a little lady. This is a tiny, tiny lady, all right? She was born in 1840 into a wealthy Virginian family. So she grew up on a 1,500-acre uh, tobacco plantation. Uh, she would have had it made just to kind of hang around and, you know, drink her tea like this. But she, she actually went to university and was, she actually got one of the very first master's degrees ever awarded to a woman by a southern university. So she was already kind of a trailbreaker. Um, she spoke Latin, Greek, French, Italian, Spanish, and she later mastered Chinese, which is about the hardest language in the world to learn. She was also fluent in uh, biblical Hebrew. So a smart cookie, all right? So in 1873, to some of her family's chagrin, at age 33, she was sent out by the Southern Baptist Convention to China to help pioneer Great Commission work. So her first 12 or 13 years of ministry was actually with her sister in a Chinese port city teaching in a school but at the age of 45, she caught this vision for evangelism among the unreached, and she went into the interior, unreached, unengaged parts of China. And for almost 30 years, she faithfully served through all kinds of stuff. God used her to draw hundreds of souls to Christ, but she had to endure plague and famine and war, which included the first Sino-Japanese War of 1894, the Boxer Rebellion of 1900, and the Chinese Nationalist Uprising of 1911. And, and during these times, I mean, she was not only in physical danger, but a lot of the population did not like um, white folks, all right, people from America. She endured that. So this little lady was tough as nails. Like I mentioned, four foot two inches, or four foot, maybe it's four foot three inches. Up in, up in Richmond, they actually, at, at IMB's headquarters, they actually have like a life-size poster of her. And you're just like, are you kidding? This was, she was tiny, all right? She didn't weigh much either, but she only weighed 50 pounds when she died. Okay, can you believe that? A human being only weighing 50 pounds when she died. And the reason she only weighed 50 pounds is her last year of life, she starved to death because of the war and the famine. People were dying like crazy. She was writing letters home uh, asking for more money for food to be sent, but she gave away her food to the people around her, that she literally starved herself to death, giving away everything she had to try to keep others alive. And it wasn't until um, other, some other missionaries kind of realized what was going on that they put her on a boat to, to go back to America, and she died at the age of 72 on December 24th, 1912, in the harbor of Kobe, Japan, on her way, on her way home to try to recover at the insistence of, of, of colleagues who basically found her in her emaciated state. So Lottie Moon is remembered today, rightfully, as a hero, a missionary hero, not only, though, for her faithfulness on the field, but also for her communication. She wrote home hundreds of letters, which, which effectively, in time, recruited a whole new wave of missionaries to what they used to call the, the Far East. And it also motivated the, the formation of what is now called the Women's Missionary Union. Okay, that was her letters that, that prompted that. A bunch of ladies to say, we're going we're gonna to get this thing done. We're going to help reach the nations by 
by, by all coming together, and, and they still today do a lot of great work supporting the cause of missions. And she began what later became known in her honor as the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering, which supports uh, several of the missionary families that we have sent to the field. That would be the Hamiltons, the Tidwells, the Douglases, and also 3,600 other IMB field workers uh, who are scattered across the world. Most of those, the vast majority, are actually truly working among unreached people groups. Okay. Um, last year, through their work, 176,795 people made professions of faith in Jesus Christ, and 22,744 churches were planted because of their collective work together and faithfulness all across the world. Um, I got, we got a little video we want to show you guys that uh, came from uh, 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 Julie. I think Ju- my sister-in-law Julie's, uh, was the initiator here, and Thomas and the, the girls all participated. So it's a quick little uh, two-minute video, and uh, let's, let's play that. Hi, church family. We're the Hamiltons. I'm Julie. I'm Lucy. I'm Claire. I'm Thomas. I'm Cora, and this is Debbie. And we serve here in Singapore and Southeast Asia. We wanted to take just a few moments and share a little bit about what our December looks like here in Singapore. December is an excellent ministry month for us, as many of our friends and acquaintances are more open to coming over, sharing meals, doing baking days, and through that, hearing the gospel. We have had numerous opportunities already and are looking forward to many more of opening our home and having people in as we share this Christmas season and also use this opportunity to explain how Jesus, the Savior and Messiah, took on flesh and came to earth to dwell among us. We also want to take this opportunity to thank you for your generous giving to the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering. The Lottie Moon Christmas Offering is undertaken once a year by the IMB, our organization, um, during the month of December. And during this month, they collect what ends up being the majority of the support for the organization. Um, This support, one of the neat things about it is 100% of what's given goes directly to the field. So none of it is taken for office expenses or leadership expenses or logistic support from the U.S., but 100% goes to the field in order to support the work of uh, disciple making and church planning all around the world in places where the gospel has yet to go. And that includes for us, our salary, um, our housing expenses, our medical expenses, including for our sweet girl, Vivi. Um, everything really is covered through this offering. Um, uh, our church may have given a goal for this year, and I encourage you to give very generously to it, um, even exceed that, that goal. And not just so that we're supported, not just so that our family has our needs met, but so that the gospel can continue to go forth into dark places. The kingdom can grow. And, and during this time where we celebrate Jesus coming and Emmanuel, God coming to live with us, we can also celebrate that with new brothers and sisters around the world who hear the gospel and believe as a result of the faithful giving uh, towards this offering. So with that, we want to thank you and we, as a family, want to wish you all a Merry Christmas! All right. all right, so we want to make sure that this Christmas season we're not just spending our money on ourselves and our kids, but that we're supporting the Lottie Moon Christmas offering uh, generously. You can write a check to Rocky, 
uh, and just note that in the, in the memo line, or, um, um, and that, that's one great way that we can uh, get that to the, uh, support the Christmas offering. But how do we reflect the light of Christ this Christmas? Well, like John the Baptist and, and Lottie Moon and the Hamiltons and our many other missionaries that we've sent out to the field, let's keep looking to Jesus so that we can reflect his light. And that leads us to our final point, and I'll be brief on as we, as we land the plane this morning. Uh, the final point, which is the light has come into the world. Verse 9 says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So here's the bottom line, big picture here. God made a beautiful world. He made us. We rebelled and messed it all up. And ever since, we've been suffering and in a heap of trouble. And God could have just left us spinning on this globe of of misery, right? And, And death and destruction. We would have gotten worse and worse. And he could have then just maybe blown it up like the Death Star. But that's not what he did. He didn't just abandon us. To, to suffer eternally without him. He came. Light has come. So I, I hope this Christmas you will remember the story of Christ, but also the bigger picture, the, that, that macro story of creation to Christ. Um, I don't have as much time right now to, to kind of walk through this illustration as I would like, but this week I was, I was, I was meeting with a friend of mine, Sean Mitchell, uh, who... who um, gave me this picture in my mind of how we can think effectively of, of creation to Christ. And he asked me, he said, hey, Troy, have you ever been to like a, an art museum that has a lot of, of Christian art? And honestly, some of the greatest masterpieces have Christian influences on them. So like whether you go to the Louvre in Paris or the Metropolitan Museum of Art in, in, in New York, um, the, uh, the, the, the British Museum, or there's a, there's a London Museum of, of Art, the National Gallery uh, right on Trafalgar Square, or the Vatican Museum, which is pretty much all Christian art, you see pictures of the story, right, of the Bible. So think about that. What kind of pictures have artists focused on? Well, you've probably seen pictures of creation, right? I mean, an artist imagining what that would have looked like. God you think of Michelangelo, right? This idea of creation. Pictures maybe of the fall and brokenness. Uh, artists love to draw pictures of, of Noah's flood, right? And the animals coming into the, coming into the ark. But you would also see probably some pictures of Israel's history. God making himself known to Israel, but their unfaithfulness. And, and maybe there would be a, a picture there of a prophet, whether it's Elijah, maybe, or, or one, of the, one of the other prophets telling of a coming Savior, the, this Messiah. And then the focus of the art would be on Christ. Uh, this Christmas, his, his birth, there are so many depictions of, 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 the, of the child in a manger. And maybe light being an important part of that picture that, that the artist would draw. right? Whether it be the star or a beam of light coming down into the, into the, into the trough. D- this idea of, of deity becoming humanity. And the, the Greeks, the, the Greek Orthodox Church has done a whole lot of thinking on that. On that. If you see these pictures of Christ, you, you see this, this idea of, of, of deity um, wrapped in humanity. And then when you see Christians, it's, a, it's an opposite, they're opposite colors they use. It's humanity clothed in, in, and covered with deity. Um, but there would be pictures of Jesus. There would be definitely pictures drawn of the cross, 
of Christ. I have a such piece of art uh, in a rug form in my office of Christ on the cross. And hopefully you'll find in a museum, if you keep looking, uh, the grave and the resurrection and maybe the ascension and maybe pictures of the spread of the gospel in the early church, the book of Acts. It might be, might be Stephen being stoned. Pictures of, of persecution, but pictures of the gospel spreading and overcoming. And that's the age that we live in right now. And hopefully you'd find a picture of glory, the, the return of Jesus in, in glory. Well, this is the big picture, and it's summarized by Isaiah, this great passage we're going to think about more in detail tonight. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. God did not abandon us. If you're trusting in Christ, he is with you today. And so the words of this verse are true for you. For God who said, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And I hope you'll come back tonight to see and to hear more about how light has come. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, that you did not leave us in the muck of our sins. We thank you that you sent a Savior, that the light of the world. And Lord, help us as Christians to look to him in faith, to, to reflect his light in a dark world. And if there's anyone in this room who truly doesn't yet know you through faith, I pray that today would be the day they would just look to you in a simple childlike faith and would ask you to, to save their soul. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.